G'day Dons fans and welcome to the round 17 edition of Don the Stat. Ecstasy turned to agony in the matter of a couple of minutes on Saturday night with Joe Caldwell's late goal being undone by Dan Houston, match winner after the siren. The Dons slipped to 8-7 and seven and 8th on the ladder with our second in back-to-back games against South Australian teams ahead of us this Sunday. We face the Crows currently in 7th place. I'm Jonathan Walsh, and to chat through it all, I'm joined by my co-host, Ian Humey. Humey, how are you, mate? Hey, mate. Look, I'm a bit under the weather, which you may be able to tell from hearing my voice, and also dealing with a teething 10-month-old. So that's helped take the mind off Saturday's result somewhat, but really looking forward to see how the boys respond on Sunday in a pretty important game. Yeah, me too, mate. I'm, I'm certainly glad I'm not dealing with uh, either of those ailments, a cold or uh, or a teething 10-month-old. But, uh, yeah, it was a uh, pretty flat way to, to finish Saturday night, wasn't it? That really didn't know how to feel other than, yeah, pretty disappointed. But um, hard not to be pleased with our ability to come back from behind against a really good side and, and put ourselves in with a chance to win the game. Uh, but, yeah, the, the losing after the sirens never much fun, is it? Yeah, we probably don't want to make it too much of a habit. You know, it's twice in two years now. And I think we'll we'll touch on what happened in that last play and, and sort of the differences between the two plays that people would be comparing. Um, before we get started, I want to thank Ben Jolly for being our guest on this month's bonus episode, former Essendon player and also just about to break the VFL Games record holder. Um, he's someone I've known for quite a while um, and it was great to get to talk to him about his time at Essendon and what it means to, to take that VFL record. It's now available on Patreon, but will go out on the main feed this Monday. Um, and also just speaking of Patreon, we'd also like to acknowledge our new signups. Uh, thanks to Jeremy Burke and Simon Kay for your support. Yeah, I really enjoyed the interview with Ben, mate. Thanks uh, to, to both of you for doing that. Player number 1061 to to Don the, sta- Don the Sash. Uh, so, yeah, really good chat. And I'm not sure there's many nicer guys in you know who have, who have played in the AFL or been in the VFL system as well. So, yeah, great listener. And I'm sure all of our listeners will love it too. Yeah, well, hopefully, as I said, it'll be out Monday and, and we've already got some good feedback on it from, from others. So, again, hopefully everyone does enjoy that. Well, look, enough beating around the bush. Let's rip off the bandage and, and go through Saturday's, Saturday's heartbreaking result. Um, as always, we'll start with what we thought might need to happen and then how that panned out before, again, looking at that last play. So the first thing we wanted to do was to be brave and make Port feel really vulnerable. Um, and obviously it didn't look that way uh, late in the first quarter when it was nine scoring shots to two. But following that moment, it was 22 scoring shots to 14. Now, inability to convert arguably cost both sides um, when they're in their dominant periods. Um, one other thing that was interesting to me was we only had 86 marks, which is our lowest since the last game against Port. So uh, that could have been in part due to Port's pressure, but could also have been us looking to take the game on a lot more than we have in previous weeks. Yeah, look, we we won the first centre clearance through Darcy Parish, didn't we? But we just couldn't get any territory at all in that first 10 to 15 minutes. I think Port had four of the first inside 50s. And, you know, they kicked two goals too before we kicked our first goal, which was through a pretty unlikely source in Jaden Laverde. I actually uh, sort of thought as he took that shot that I reckon the last goal he kicked was from pretty much the same spot, albeit on the other side of the ground. So I think that was way back on Anzac Day 2021. So, uh, yeah, probably didn't have that on our bingo card list for Laverde to kick a goal. And then uh, Port had the next five scoring shots. But luckily for us, they all were behinds. Port went 7-1 from clearances in that first quarter and had 
10 more inside 50s than we did. The ball spent 70% of the, the game or sorry, the quarter in their forward half. And we just weren't able to get the game on our terms at all um, or retain the ball inside 50. But what we did do when we did go forward was score. And, and that was what enabled us to to get close. And both of our first quarter goals came from Port trying to exit the forward 50 and us turning it over. So, you know, I think there were still some good signs in, in what was not a, a particularly great quarter for us that we were able to to keep competing. Uh, yeah, we forced them into some pretty low percentage chance shots as well and, and were able to convert our chances when we got them. And then our our second goal, of, or sorry, our first goal of the second quarter, I should say, came the same way as our two in the first did, and that was turning over a, a port exit. So, you know, we were able to do to them in that early part of the game what they've been doing for to teams for for most of this season and and you know from then on I think the game looked a lot better in, in terms of how we we performed the second quarter we turned around the contested ball situation we were plus six for contested ball in the second quarter and then we got more territory spent you know more than fifty percent or sorry almost fifty percent of, of the the second quarter was spent in our half compared to you know thirty percent in the first quarter so got the game on our terms a little bit more we started to play on from marks a lot more forty three percent of the time in, in Q two we played on our our average across the seasons just over twenty two percent so there was a lot of intent to really take the game on and and, and move the ball a lot faster we won inside fifties in that quarter we just couldn't convert enough of our opportunities we kicked two goals six so you know we arguably could have been. You know, I mean, Port would argue they could have been a lot further ahead at quarter time, and, and we pr- could probably argue we should have been at half time. Um, and then, yeah, just sort of on that ball movement piece, I thought, you know, Wiedemann and Wright obviously didn't have their best games, but I think what they did do was they they got up the ground and they competed, and and I think that really helped and aided our ball movement. It left the forward line open for a lot of the game. It created a lot of one on ones behind them. It left Alir a little bit uncertain about what he should do other than try and, you know, wear Peter Wright's jumper. But, you know, he he really wasn't sure whether to come up or sit back. And he got he's a he got caught in no man's land a few times. So uh and then I think the other thing that we did really well and, and it was probably led by Zach Merritt, um, more so than most, but once we got the opportunity to get in the corridor, we really took it and, and looked to open them up. So yeah, that First ten to fifteen minutes of the game, or, or you know, for a lot of the se- the first quarter, was a little bit of a worry. But I thought that aside, our ball movement was probably as good as it's been all season. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it sort of flows into the next thing, which in terms of then also restricting Port, which was don't let them get the game on on their terms and, and really stop their forward half turnover or, or scores from stoppages. It's been a real strength for them, and uh, you know, for the especially from stoppage, um, we only. Um, conceded three scores from uh, stoppage um, in terms of forward half stoppages to Port, which is pretty low for them this season. Now, five of their goals, you know, nine and nine scores overall did come from forward half turnover, but there was a real uh, pleasing ability to restrict that stoppage score. Yeah, spot on. Uh, stoppage score, but I think still forward half turnovers in general. I mean, we think back to the first time we played them and, you know, we just couldn't get the ball off our out of our back line for, you know, almost three quarters of that game. We, we were just stuck back there and, and they pinned us in and, and, you know, eventually we were able to break that down and score. They own, they've been averaging 52 points a game from forward half turnovers. Oh, sorry, forward half 
um, scores this season. So both stoppages and turnovers combined. They only scored 35 points from f- the forward half on Saturday night. So I think that's a big tick in our ability to take that away from them. I think that says a lot about how we went about the game and, and our contested work and, and our pressure work as well. And, and just the, the thoroughness also of our ball movement and that ability of Wright and Wiedemann to get up the ground and give us an outlet kick and, and for us to get the ball in the corridor when we could. And then, you know, down the other end, we averaged 24 points a game from forward half turnovers, which is pretty modest, but we scored 39 points um, in this game against Port Adelaide, which is our equal most this season. And, and the other time was against North Melbourne. And I, I really do think since that game, there's been a lot more focus on getting our defensive structure further up the ground and 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 scoring more from front half turnovers and and I think we're starting to see that now um you know we we've scored more from forward half turnovers than we have in defensive half turnovers in three of our last four games so you know that uh, those scores from our back 50 have been a bit of a cornerstone of Essendon in 2023 we're now starting to see a real shift of of that and um and that's yeah starting to change the profile of of how we're scoring yeah and just to reflect back on something you said a little bit earlier we you know you pointed out in the last port game we really couldn't move the ball out of our defensive 50 and and port got a lot of repeat entries if you look at the inside 50 numbers between both of those games in in the first game port were plus 18 uh and in this game they're only plus five and if you you took out the first quarter essendon would be ahead in that stat for the remainder of the game. So a real sign of improvement um, against a team that is obviously quite good at locking it in. Yeah, exactly right. It, it was the, I mean, we didn't go on to win the game anyway, but it, it was the the part of the game that I was most concerned about and, and would Port do to us what they've done to so many other teams and something that we've struggled. And I was particularly concerned about it because we, uh, you know, I know Nick Hines had his moments and, and so has Massimo D'Ambrosio, but we had what on paper looked a pretty slow back line. So, uh, yeah, credit to the coaches. They they got the guys, you know, up to to counteract that and, and did a really good job of it. So I think that's really pleasing for how our game evolves going forward. Yeah. Uh, the next point was to take advantage of our height in the forward line. We identified that Port's defenders aren't really that tall. And obviously with Wright and Wiedemann, you think there would be an advantage there. Although obviously the outcome of that was zero goals between the two of them. Although, as you mentioned earlier, the defenders got away with a fair bit of scragging. Um, but what that did allow was for Langford to really get involved in the game with his three goals and, and a goal assist. Um, one thing I looked into after this game was Langford's stats against the top four sides. Um, overall in games against top four sides, he's averaging 2.4 goals, 2.25 goal assists and 7.4 score involvements. And that's significantly above his season averages. I think it's 1.9 goals a game across the season, uh, just under one goal assist and about six score involvements. So he's really stepping up against the best sides. So again, that's really pleasing in terms of his development and, and what he's bringing to the side. Yeah, I think, our, I mean, that's a, a great pickup, mate. I, I think our performances against top four sides as a whole this year have been, uh, you know, drastically. I, I know we won some games last year. We we beat the Swans and we beat Brisbane in, in the game up at the Gabba where they had um, a whole bunch of players out. But, you know, there were some real inconsistent performances at times against the best sides. And and I think this year we've, we've been in every game that we've played. We were... Uh, um, competitive with Brisbane for a half. They they ran over us in the second half. But, you know, arguably should have beat Port both times with a little bit of, you know, a little bit of luck. And, um, uh, you know, Jordan Ridley not getting concussed the first time we played them. And then the Pies, we were obviously well up at three-quarter time and, 
and um, succumb to their rampage. But back to the port game, it was 15 marks inside 50 to their 12. So I think at the start of the game, we we wouldn't have expected to to get a, a positive differential in that part of it, given, you know, they had three, you know, tall forwards who have been in really good form and, and we've struggled to contain tall forwards this year. So I think that was a, a really good outcome for us and a testament to our ability to to get Wiedemann and, and Wright to to pull a Lear up the ground and not allow him to intercept Mark in the back 50. And, um, you know, even Bergman last time did a real number of us on us in that part of the ground too. So I think that was a lot better. Uh, you know, we were plus three on our season average for Mark's inside 50 to do that on a, on what was a pretty greasy night. I think it's a real positive and, um, and they were minus 1.3 on there. So yeah, I think we, yeah, we all but executed that um, as well as we possibly could have. Yeah. And just sort of, Reflecting on that as well, Port average, you know, a plus 2.2 marks inside 50 per game against their opponents. So a game, as we said, really reflects well on our performance there. Uh, finally, was to go head to head in the midfield and make them worry about our players. And I guess looking at some of the team stats in terms of midfield coming into the game, Port were the second best center clearance differential side and fourth best stoppage clearance side. Um, and despite this, Essendon won overall clearance of 30 to 28. They were down two in centre clearance, but they were up four in stoppage clearance. And overall, Essendon outscored Port from stoppages 18 to 14, even though this wasn't the major source of scoring for either side. It, it really was a turnover game in terms of scores. But again, this is another example where something that's been a weakness for us over a few years, the, the stoppage clearance uh, differential, um, in a few games this year against good sides. I, I remember the Brisbane game, another one where they were leading that stat and the North game as well, when they went into that game leading that stat, we've, we've had really good results in that area. Um, and then just looking at those specific players, um, you know, people talk up Port's young midfielders and they're all pretty good. You know, Butters, Rosie, uh, Jason Horn, Francis, all excellent players. Um, if you look at our younger players in, in Hobbs and Caldwell through the midfield, I think we match them. Um, if you look at the, Stats for our duo, 16 score involvements for our two versus 15 for their trio. Uh, 23 contested possessions for our duo and 14 for their trio. 12 to 16 in terms of inside 50s, 6 to 8 clearances. Um, you know, Caldwell's the same draft as Butters and Rosie and, and Hobbs is the same draft as Vaughan Francis. So it's a really good sign for the future competitiveness of our midfield that they're going head to head and matching those really good young players that Port have. Yeah, I, very little to complain about in from my perspective, mate, in, in regards to our midfield and how it's evolving. I think, you know, the, there's going to continue to be some up and down moments in games and we saw that in the first quarter. But I think the, the use of Hobbs and Caldwell over the last four to five weeks has been great. They've been getting good midfield minutes. They've been managed, you know, a little bit through half-forward rotations and, and through time on ground. I think, you know, that if you look at their last two games, they've almost reversed in terms of centre bounce attendances. Caldwell had um, more than Hobbs uh, two games ago and then that swap this week. So I think the coaches are using them in a really smart way and, and making sure that they're they're building their minutes, building the, the foundation of their game, but also getting exposure to playing half forward and, and we're not overloading them, which is good. I know there's a bit of thought around that Shield coming on a sub push them out of the midfield. But I think realistically it was Stringer that got pushed out. Um, uh, you know, when you got fresh legs and a, and a player like Shield on your bench, I think you're, you're mad not to try and use him in, in at the centre clearances where he excels. You know, it was only, uh, was it last year or the year before, where is it a one centre clearance player in the competition? So you, you can't blame the coaches for throwing him in there. But I probably thought Stringer was the one who, who 
missed out and, and could have given us some size and power in that last quarter and, and we didn't see him through the midfield at all. Yeah. I think even if you look at the overall numbers from that quarter, though, we won that quarter, the centre bounces in that quarter five to three. So, yes, you know, Hobbs not going in, you could argue, maybe cost us a little bit. But overall, we had, you know, an advantage in that area. It was the only quarter we won for the, for the match in terms of centre clearance. Yeah, fair call. I think over the course of the game, we can be pretty happy with our, how our midfield performed against, you know, what is probably the informed midfield of the comp. Yeah, and there's something else I just want to quickly touch on for that. So um, before we move on to the final play, Essendon won both the contested possession and the tackle count. So that suggests that the players were not only working hard to win the ball, but they're also working hard to win the back. You would imagine that if you won contested possession, you would lose the tackle count, particularly in a close game. If you're winning the tackle count, you're probably losing the contested possession because you're second to the ball. But the fact that we won both really showed how hard we were working there. Yeah, exactly right, man. I think you nailed it. Yeah, well, look, let's let's get stuck into it, that last play. And look, naturally, people are going to draw comparisons to what happened in the Collingwood game last year, given both a goal after the siren losses, which came after Essendon could have sealed the game uh, with a shot on goal, you know, 20 seconds earlier in the Collingwood game and just over a minute in the Port game. But as, as you're about to go through, there's some key differences between how those two plays worked out. Yeah, this probably should come with a health warning. So if you are driving at the moment, maybe best to pull over. But uh, yeah, look, the the outcome was ultimately the same, wasn't it? We we lost a game in uh, after the siren where we were in front. So um, yeah, that that's obviously not great. But realistically, they were very very different. I think you know there was, as you said, there was just over a minute, a minute seven seconds on the clock uh, when Parish missed compared to you know, 20 seconds or so in the Pies game. I, I didn't go back to look at the Pies one to compare the time clock, but I certainly watched the the Port one more times than I, I should have. But, yeah, uh, uh, the kick-in was very different to start with. So, you know, Paris kicked the behind and, and Port went long down the middle, whereas Collingwood sent their numbers, uh, you know, into the middle of the ground, but then went wide to, to where there were fewer numbers. So on this occasion, we matched Port's numbers in the middle, but we also kept outriders as well. So I don't think Port ever really looked to go wide, but if they had, of, we had some cover there that we didn't have against um, against the pie. So that setup looked different in the first place. So I think there's a, a lesson learned there. Uh, Collingwood obviously took uncontested marks down the ground and, and were able to get overlap, whereas it took wines to sort of roll the dice and fly in the air and, and knock the ball their way to to get the ground that they did. And it all happened very, very quickly. No different to the Pies game, but very different profile. And what was different was that we had numbers set up behind that and and we won the ball back through through Redmond who who kicked the ball out of bounds and you know, Port got the free for insufficient attempt and they went inside 50 and you know, again, we had the numbers. Martin spoiled the ball boundary side. Ridley pretended to fumble the ball, and it went out of bounds. So, you know, we played that uh, that bit of play as well as we possibly could have. I don't think we could expect or, or ask for for much more. Throw in, and then we got another ball up. So, again, you know, we we did everything that we could have to to take time off the clock and and not allow Port a chance to score. And and then I think it just honestly comes down to a little bit of bad luck. I, I don't know whether this was a decision on on something trained into Rosie and Port, but he didn't actually tackle Nick Martin. So Nick Martin couldn't, you know, engage the tackle and get a ball up. So Rosie sort of corralled him and and almost dared him to kick. And, and again, I don't know whether that's just something that happened as the play unfolded or it's something that Port had been taught. So 
again, short of fumbling and keeping the ball open in a little bit of space, I, I don't think there was much more that, that Nick Martin could have done other than do what he did, and that was try and, and get the ball out. And, and he went boundary side as best as he could. Um, and, it, yeah, this sort of kick goes half a metre in, in, you know, wider, either in either direction. It either goes out of bounds or, or we had numbers and, and probably would have won the contest or or got another stoppage, and, and it just comes down to a little bit of luck. So I don't... I don't think we did a lot wrong. You can uh, you can watch that a thousand times and come up with a, di- a thousand different conclusions. But I think in in the pressure of the moment, Nick Martin probably did everything right, given that Rosie didn't actually engage him to tackle. And um, yeah, the rest, as they say, was history. Yeah, and obviously, unfortunate, it probably landed in the hands of, of the one of only maybe two Port players you would have backed to kick kick that shot and look. You sort of mentioned there, there's already been improvements in the way we defend those those moments. As you said, we, we didn't allow the width um, that we allowed against Collingwood there. So, again, there's, there's improvements there. But it's it's a working progress. And you just have to look at, say, Port's results from last year to this year. I think they were one in five in, in tight games last year, whereas they're, they're five and zip this year. And some of those things you mentioned, you know, Rosie corralling rather than tackling um, Houston setting up in a, in a dangerous position for that, for that kick out. That's probably something that they've really worked hard at over the off season. And I guess that's something we have to really work at. Although we have been successful in some close games this year, obviously the North game, uh, the Richmond game, we've won the close ones in that scenario. So, you know, it's not all doom and gloom that we always lose these games. No, it's not. And I think, you know, two years back, if you look at Collingwood, they they lost a lot more close games than they won. And and then obviously that became that's become a cornerstone of of their performances over the last two years. So yeah, it it, it is um it, it does ebb and flow. And and I think we've done a, a much better job at um at restricting fast transition from our forward fifty into our back fifty this year. And uh, yeah, we just ran out a little bit of luck at the end there. Yeah. Well, look, let's move on from the Port game. Before we start looking at, at Adelaide, one thing I, that came to my mind uh, after the game, which wasn't really related to the, the Port game, but more in terms of how we read stats and, and how it's very easy to cherry pick ideas without really looking at the context. And one of the things we've really talked about a lot on this show is not taking stats in isolation and trying to look at the broader picture. So with that in mind, I made a video for our patrons looking at our tackle numbers and asking them for their input into what they think may be the cause of these numbers. So really digging down beyond what is this beyond what the stat is and sort of trying to explain it and, and getting them to participate there. So the crux of the idea was that Essendon is 16th for average tackles per game, which is ahead of only the Lions and North. So, look, if you asked the average person, you know, what's the assumption about how um, hard Essendon works, you would say that means they don't work hard enough, they're not pushing hard enough to tackle. Um, However, if you look at our differential, so how many more times we tackle than our direct opponents in game, we're second. So we're behind only Collingwood. We register seven more tackles per game than our opponents do. So that's a really interesting um, difference between those two stats. Um, if you look at the the Lions and North, not only are they last for average tackles, they're also last for differential. So I thought digging down into that might provide some ability for, for our patrons to really think about what, what this sort of thing means. And I really want to thank uh, Chris and Jamie for responding. And I think with their responses, they really hit the nail on the head 
So the first point around raw tackles comes from a, a couple of ideas. So firstly, no team takes more marks than Essendon. So what that does is limit the amount of contests, meaning less opportunities for tackles. Furthermore, games involving Essendon have roughly 42 stoppages a game, and that's four less than the next side, which is North. Um, Again, limiting the opportunities to tackle if you're not having stoppages. By contrast, Adelaide is the top side for stoppages per game, and they're averaging 56 stoppages per game. So you can see how much less stoppages we have per game. So that sort of explains the raw tackle numbers. And then if you get into that differential stat, I think that comes down to, for the most part, is that we're most likely to lose stoppage um, and contested possession than win it. So therefore, we're second to the ball and more likely to need to tackle so the top differential side, which is Collingwood, they're also a strong contested possession side, although their stoppage clearance numbers are similar to Essendon. So it's not the same for each side and there's different elements for each side. So it was just a little experiment to try to explain the reason behind certain statistical markers and try not to make rash judgments based on one data point, which I think we see a fair bit from, you know, people people in the media and in some of the, some of the shows that they get one stat and, and they make their whole argument about how our side's playing based on that one stat. What then you have to think about is, does that data point need to be addressed by the coaches or are other changes more important to improving performance? Do we need to get our, our raw tackles up? Do we need to get our our stoppage clearance, our stoppages up to try and slow the game down? Um, that's the sort of question those in charge at the club need to be answering in order to lead to better results in the future. So I, I just thought it was an interesting little thought um, experiment for our patrons to participate in. Again, thanks to those who did yeah, I found it really interesting, mate. Nice work. It, it'll be something to keep an eye on this week, given that you, you know, what you mentioned about the, the Crows being the number one team in terms of the number of stoppages that they create in a game and, and us being last. So, um, yeah, very different profile in that regard. So, yeah, something to keep an eye on this week, mate. Nice work. Um, and speaking of the Crows, shall we start to dig into them? Yeah, so obviously it's a really good opportunity to look at a side that was in a similar stage to where we were last year and they seem to have made similar improvements. Um, last year, Adelaide finished 14th and that was one spot above Essendon. They had eight wins and a percentage of 87. Uh, so far this year, they've won the same amount of games as uh, last year overall and they're currently sitting seventh on the ladder, equal to Essendon on games one, but with a percentage of 119.6. So their percentage is higher. So both sides have made a similar jump in terms of their position from last year to their current position this year. If you look at their, their raw numbers, that both sides concede roughly the same amount of points, um, but Adelaide's been more impressive in attack. They're ranked third in scores four, as opposed to Essendon, who are ranked eighth. Uh, one of the points that's been made about the Crows this year, though, is the real home bias in their results. So seven of their wins have come at home, uh, including the showdown against Port Adelaide, whilst their only away victory came by three points against Hawthorne in Launceston. So three of their victories against Port St Kilda and Brisbane have come against top eight sides, whilst their two losses to ladder leaders Collingwood have been by one and then two points. So they've really pushed the best sides in the competition. Uh, if you look at their their averages score in Adelaide, it's, it's 112 points. But when they travel out of South Australia, that is reduced to 75 points. And they've played one game at Marvel this year against the Dogs and then they lost that 85 to 40. So it'll be interesting to see if that sort of thing plays out um, coming into this game. Yeah, I know we we spoke last week on whether or not we believed in the the buy curse, and um, you know I, I don't give that a lot of credence. But this is one that's really stark. It, it, it's not just their scoring that's dropped away when they they don't play at the Adelaide Oval, but it's it's their whole game contested possession differential is plus twelve when they play at home, and it's minus fifteen when they. 
they play away. So, you know, that's a, a massive change in in contested ball profile. And then uncontested possession differential is plus 40 at home and minus 14.5 away. So it's, yeah, just starkly different in in the, yeah, the amount of footy that they're getting. Um, they take 97 marks a game at home. So they are a high marking team in terms of their preferred game style. If, if you look at, um, you know, their home games have been typically the ones that they've won and that drops down to 77 marks when they play away from home, plus 7.6 intercepts in home games, minus 4.8 in away games. And then opposition turned the ball over 72 times at the Adelaide Oval versus 62 times when the Crows play away. So they're just not winning the ball back off the opposition anywhere near as much as they, well, 10 times less, I guess, uh, when they they play at home. So, yeah, it's a it's a really big drop away. And I'm sure it's something, well, you know, Matthew Nix mentioned it in his press conference today. He was asked about it and I'm sure they'll be trying to come up with plans. But, you know, hopefully for our sake, it's one of those things that's a bit self-perpetuating and, and it keeps playing on their players' mind. And, and it's something that we can take advantage of with, in front of hopefully a big red and black crowd on Sunday. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, if you look at some of the elements of their game style, that they haven't really changed their kick to handball ratio. They're still kicking 1.55 times per handball. They rank eight for inside fifties, but then when they do go inside, they're actually the most efficient team that they're scoring 54% of the time. Um, and that's a big jump from the 46% that were scoring in the previous season. Um, they've maintained a civil, similar level at center clearance. So they're rated 15th in, in both years, whilst their stoppage clearance have dropped slightly from 10th to 12th. And that's a, that's in the differential numbers, as we mentioned earlier. Um, they generate the most stoppages of any side um, in the comp. Um, and in terms of raw numbers, they're actually quite high. But when you actually dig down into those differentials, uh, they're losing more than they're winning in those scenarios. Um, but despite that, they do have a positive differential for contested possession. So what that suggests is that their post-clearance contested work is much better than their pre-clearance contested work. So once the ball gets out of the clearance, they're a much better contested side than they are in clearance. Uh, so this aligns really with their intercept differential. So they have the second best of intercept differential in the league. That's behind Melbourne. Um, and that's compared to last year where they ranked 15. So they've really pushed that, pushed that intercept game up higher. Um, and it's playing a real big part in, in why they've moved up the ladder this year. Um, and they're also, again, they're also second for the raw number of tackles, which again relates to the fact they generate a high number of stoppages, which relates to what I spoke about earlier. Yeah. And what about their list, mate? What's changed there? Yeah, look, most of their improvement has, has come from within. So of their six inclusions, only Isaac Rankin and number 17 draft selection, father, son, Max Michelini have played significant minutes. Of, um, both have played all possible games this year. Uh, Rankin is having a career best year after being traded from Gold Coast. He's already kicked 30 goals and having his highest disposal average inside 50 clearance and, and score involvement. So he's really come on um, even further than where he was at at the Gold Coast. Uh, Michelini is a 190 centimetre defender. who's averaging 4.3 intercepts per game. Um, you could argue he's probably taking the spot vacated by Jake Kelly when he went to Essendon, although it was sort of a year between um, Jake departing and, and Max arriving at Adelaide. To look at the departures, uh, Brown with 11 games, Rowe with 17, Davis five. Um, they were all dis- delisted um, whilst Frampton was traded to Collingwood after having played six. Because um, none of those are really major departures, it's meant they've kept continuity with the previous year, and that's usually a sign that the team is able to make advances on their previous performances. Yeah, I think what's not spoken about all that often when it comes to the Crows, a lot of their focus is on, you know, Isaac Rankin and the impact that he's made and their younger players and their improvement. And all of that is, is absolutely true. But I think 
what's not talked about is that they're getting a much bigger contribution from their senior players. Rory Sloan's played 15 games already this year, having only played four games in 2022. And, and in, Two of those four, he was subbed off. So, you know, he he's just been on the field a lot more, and and he's been a real key to to them being able to to uh, win clearance and and tackle and apply pressure through the midfield. And then Taylor Walker's kicked forty seven goals in eighteen games this season. He he kicked forty six last year in in fourteen games. So, you know, he's, uh, you know, his contribution this year has has um, excel. Sorry, I got that back to front, mate. I'm going to have to cut that. Um, Taylor Walker kicked 47 goals in 18 games last season. He's already kicked 46 this year in just 14 games. So, you know, he's almost equaled his contribution from last year in, in four less games. He's averaging 3.3 goals a game this year, which is the equal best season over his career. And and it's you know, back to 2012 when he did that the last time around. So, you know, he's having a career best season at, uh, you know, what is he, 32 or 33 years of age. And then Brody Smith and Rory Laird have continued to perform at their previous high standard. So they've got, you know, four really experienced and, and senior players there that have played a lot of footy and are all having, you know, seasons that are, are at or near their their career best and, and performing at high standards. And that complements those young players that are improving really, really well. Yeah, it sort of protects those those young players. They're not required to to win games or every week. You know, you've got your consistent performers with your, your toughened bodies and, and that sort of provides a bit more consistency than, than younger players who potentially could be up and down a bit. Let's quickly look back at what happened last time Essendon played Adelaide. So it was 15-13-103 for Essendon, defeating Adelaide 15-9-99. It was Essendon's first win of 2022. It happened in round four. Um, it was a match where Essendon led for most of the day, but the margin never got larger than 15 points. Uh, the teams sort of went goal for goal in the final term, and Essendon held on for that four-point win. Um you know, the teams were even in clearance, although Adelaide won 20 more contested possessions, which lines up with how they're playing this year. Um, Essendon made better use of their marking ability, so they took 19 more overall and seven more inside 50, and that allowed them to control the game and get the win. Uh, just in terms of raw numbers, Parrish and Laird matched each other with 38 touches, whilst Walker kicked four and, and right three. I actually had a, a bit of a breather at lunchtime today, and I was going to sit down and and watch a little bit of this game, and uh, just to reflect back and decide a better of it in the end, and, and turn the TV off as soon as I turned it on. But yeah, it was a high scoring game, but it, it wasn't particularly memorable for reaching any great heights. So I reckon we uh, we move on to selection, mate. What's happened there? Yeah. So look, as you imagine, after Essendon pushing one of the top two sides all the way, there's been minimal changes. So as it's a Sunday game, we've just got the extended bench. So Nick Bryan, Nick Hind, and Nick Cox uh, have all been added to the 26. Um, no one's gone out at this stage. Uh, the extended bench currently is Hobbs, Shield, Snelling, Cox, Hind, Bryan, Kelly, and Menzi. Um, look, I, in my view, given that you imagine Shield is going to get a full game this week, I expect him to come in for Snelling and, and play that high half forward role that, that Snelling plays. Um, and then Hobbs, Menzi, and Kelly to maintain their places in the 22. So, then I think it comes down to either Hind or Cox as a sub. Uh, Rick Edwards made the point on Twitter that Cox is a perfect sub, given he can play in all three zones on the ground. I do think they may go with Hind, though, as that impact player, especially on a you know a, a dry Marvel ground under the roof. Um, that line-breaking pace at the end of the game could be valuable. Yeah, you'd have to think that they'll keep things pretty simple. I, I agree with you. If there is a change, it'll be Shield into the 22. You, you'd think that he's not going to be sub again. So he's either in the 22 or he's he's out of the team altogether. So yeah, I'm inclined to to agree with you and and 
it's likely to be the one change shielding for Snelling and, and either Snelling or Hind, but but probably Hind the sub. And unless there's, you know, a thought to get, you know, Hind into the 22 for for Kelly and get a little bit of pace back there, given their their depth in small and, and you know, fast forwards. But uh, yeah, I haven't been remotely close to getting selection predictions right this year, mate. So anything could happen. Absolutely. Uh, look, let's quickly look at Adelaide. They've also made minimal changes. So uh, in comes Elliot Himmelberg, Harry Schoenberg, James Borlase, and Patrick Parnell. Um, they're out is Jordan Butts with concussion. Um, their extended bench is Parnell, Saligo, Phil Thorpe, McHenry, Scholl, Schoenberg, Himmelberg, and Borlase. Um, all their named ins are on the extended bench. And coming off a big win, you'd expect a game that they only make the force change um, of Butts with that concussion. And they, you know, they are missing a couple of their key pillars in their back line. Uh, two days out for the season with the knee injury, um, butts with concussion, you know, so potentially there's, there's the opportunity to stretch them uh, in the back line. Yeah, Paul Lays is a, a 20-year-old, 192-centimetre key defender yet to debut, so obviously we be playing his first game if he does get selected. He's actually born in Egypt, so to be a, a good news story for the the evolution and, and multiculturalism of our game, but it was drafted as a Category B rookie uh, as part of the Crows Academy back in 2021. And then Elliot Himmelberg, you know, we, we've seen him before. He, he played in that game against us last year. I'm pretty sure he's a 200-centimetre key position player and, and played most of his footy as a forward, but has played a little bit down back. So you'd imagine one of those two will come in for for butts and, and they're likely to just make the one change. Yeah. Well, look, let's quickly turn to Adelaide's last game where they went 21-12-138 to defeat North 11-6-72. It was a reasonably tight first half, but it ended with a nine goal to three second half for Adelaide. So they ran out comfortable 66-point winners. Uh, they went at 62.5% inside 50 efficiency and took 21 marks inside 50. Um, despite winning the contested possession count by 11, they also had tackled North by 29. Um, if you look at those uh, tackle differentials, only Essendon over Carlton and Collingwood over GWS have seen a higher tackle differential in a game this year. So they worked really hard against a North side that I think judging by their tackle numbers aren't quite the hardest workers at this stage. Um, Adelaide had six of the top seven disposal getters with Sloan having 30, uh, Keys 29 and Dawson 28. Uh, Ranking kick five, Fogarty four and, and Walker three goals. And then Mitch Hinge had 12 intercept possessions and really controlled uh, the air in the back line. Yeah, it was a really entertaining game for at least for the first half. The 22 minutes into that second quarter, it was nine goals to eight. So it was just sort of a game that swung with shifts in momentum and, and it became a real shootout. And then Adelaide kicked three goals to end the second quarter and, and go in at halftime with a decent lead. And, and the Roos just really faded out of the game. That first quarter was a really intense high pressure quarter as well. So it wasn't just... Uh, uncontested shootout. It was a really, um, yeah, it was a hot footy. And um, and as I mentioned, the, the game swung with momentum. So I think that the Roos just weren't able to to maintain that for long enough. And yeah, Hinge, as you said, mopped up everything um, that that sort of came down his way. The, the Crows scored 102 points from turnover in that game and, and 58 of those were from their back half. So, and yeah, Hinge was a real key to that. Yeah. Well, let's turn our attention to Sunday at Marvel and, Obviously, we've gone through a lot of what Adelaide's doing well at the moment. Um, how do you see how we need to approach this game? Yeah, there's a lot of what we've been doing in recent weeks that I think should stack up well against the Crows. And, and I think we just want to see a continuation of that. We, uh, You know, it's a pretty basic premise, but 
win contested ball, not just at stoppages, but like we've spoken about recently around the ground and, and at that next contest after the, the clearance. And if we can base our game around that, then we control the ball on the outside and, and then that ultimately allows us to take territory. So if you have a look back at, at sort of the history of their games this year, the Crows have conceded 100 points three times this season and, and conceded 98 points against Geelong. So, uh, you know, they they have had some games where the damn walls have fallen and, and they obviously lost all four of those games. And the difference in most of them was scores from forward half. So uh, against the Giants, and we're going back to round one here, scores from forward half turnovers were 12 to 34 against uh, against the Giants in the Giants favor and then against Richmond it was 38 to 9 uh, in Richmond's favor against the Cats it was 32 to 48 in Geelong's favor and then Gold Coast did um uh, against Gold Coast it was 38 to 40 in Adelaide's favor albeit you know 38 points was still well above the Crows season average. So they averaged 30 points against them from front half turnovers over the course of the season. So in those games in particular, their opponents were able to do better than their average. And and in each of those uh, games, well, three of those four games, they lost contested ball by a fair margin. They, they won it by four against Richmond, which kind of bucks the trend a little bit. But in the other three games I mentioned, they, they lost contested ball by 18, 16 and 38. So, you know, I think there's, there's something there to be said that against the Crows, if you can win contested ball, not just at stoppage, but around the ground, take territory from them and, and control possession, then you give yourself the opportunity to lock a ball in your forward half, play a forward half game. And and, and if you do that, you give yourself a chance to score. Yeah. And I think when you combine that with their home form and, and their away form and three of those four games are away from the Adelaide Oval. There's a bit of a pattern there that suggests if you can get the game on your terms through contested ball, you really give yourself a chance. Um, what's the key matchups for you this week? Yeah, I, I think there'd be lots to talk about and and we could go through a lot of them, you know, um, what we do to stop Tex and, and all of those kind of things, you know, do we tag Dawson or don't we? And uh, yeah, there's lots, but I think, there's a there's a simple one here and and that's Phillips versus O'Brien the the two ruckmen you know their their midfield's outstanding uh, but I think the the Crows coaches will be equally concerned about ours and, and and the match winners we have through the middle now with Darcy Parish back and and his influence on contested ball and clearance, what Zach Merritt's doing as a leader, the contributions we're getting from Hobbs and Caldwell, you know hopefully Shields up and about now second game back and and you know Nick Martin and Durham out on the wing so I think they'll be concerned about our midfield they'll also be concerned about their lack of key defenders and and if we do win that midfield battle what it could mean for for us being able to generate a score so yeah that that midfield battle i think will uh, the rucks will have a big say o'brien isn't a big marker of the ball he, he doesn't take a lot of marks in games he isn't hugely influential around stoppages once the ball is on the ground but he does lead the afl for hitouts and he does lead the crows for score launches so he, he's getting on his head he's ball on uh, he's getting his hands on the ball in the ruck, I should say, and and that's helping to set up scores. So he's a big reason behind why the Crows are third in the AFL for clearances, along with the fact that they do generate a lot of stoppages, as you mentioned. I think on the flip side, though, and and our fans will probably shudder at the thought of of relying on Andrew Phillips to to have a massive say in whether we win or lose this game, but 
He's won 55.7% of his ruck contest this season, which ranks him third in the AFL. So, you know, he hasn't been a high minutes ruckman because Draper's been our number one ruck, but he has supported him really well in the ruck. And and he did have a really, really influential game against Port Adelaide, albeit against a smaller size ruckman in Finlayson and and a, and a debutante. So, uh, yeah, I think that that holds a little bit of a key to to us being able to, to get territory Give our forwards uh, one-on-ones and and outsize and and um, and out position their their smaller defence, and then it also um, allows us to protect our our back line as well, which we still were able to do last week. You know they have three key forwards that kicked two goals between them, and um, and in Finlayson's case, he kicked his while he was in the ruck. So yeah, I think if Andrew Phillips can give us first use, he continues to do the work that he's he did last week at ground level. Then I think it gives us a big advantage. Yeah, well, look, fingers crossed there. Um, we can get Phillips to back up his good work from last game. Look, let's head to our final thought. And I think it's a question a lot of people have thought about in the lead up to the game. Do our finals hopes rest on the result of this game? I don't think our finals hopes as a whole rest on this game. Uh, I think there's enough footy left in this season that even if we were to drop this one, that we've got enough winnable games to, to get enough wins to make the eight. But I think if we were to drop the game, then we put ourselves in the position we've been in in recent years where we're scraping in. And I don't think we really want to do that. You know, I would always prefer to play finals than not play finals, but I think we've got ourselves in a position this season where we can influence in finals. You know, we're we're not a flag threat yet. We've got a lot of development ahead of us, but given what's happened to the teams around us, you know, we're only one win out of the top four, which, you know, sounds a little bit silly, but it's a really competitive uh, you know, group around us. And and I think if we win this game, it, it's a bit of that old-fashioned eight-point game, isn't it? So we go ahead of the Crows and give ourselves a chance to to push up to fifth or sixth on the ladder with, you know, a, a tough game next week, but then some some really winnable games on the horizon. So, um, so yeah, I, I don't think our finals hopes rest on it in totality, but our ability to to potentially get a home final and and to really influence that and and get the finals wins monkey off our back, I think does, uh, you know, this is a game that we should be winning if we want to be able to to influence the final eight. Yeah, I think that's a really good distinction about, you know, being an influential side in finals or just making up the numbers and be interesting to see how this game plays out there. Well, look, that'll end us for tonight. Thanks again to everyone listening, commenting and, and sharing the episodes. We really do appreciate it. Um, a reminder, obviously that you can support us on Patreon and there's a link to the site in the description. Uh, any final words from you, Johnny? No, mate, nothing from me. Thanks to everyone from, uh, yeah, everyone who's, who shared their support and, um, and reviewed us on, on Apple podcasts and, and given us a rating that that really does mean a lot. Thanks to our new Patreon and, and old Patreon subscribers. We, we appreciate the sport, the support and the feedback. And yeah, thanks again to you, mate, for all the hard work you do. Awesome. Thanks again for all the work you do, mate. Uh, stay safe, everyone and go Dons. <laughs>